Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Something About Farming. I'm El Matador. And I'm Tex. And we are coming to you live from the bullpen in a rainy southern panhandle of Texas. This week, we would like to spend a few moments reviewing the hills and valleys of 2019 growing season, along with some, you know, twist and turn along the way there, Tex. So I just, you know, we'll just go dive right off in the deep end here. Your 2019, if, if you were to, to sum it up in one sentence, what uh, what would you best describe 2019? Well, all I could say is it was really pretty dry. And uh, it seemed like for all our neighbors, it seemed their spring started out pretty wet and uh, pretty promising. And we really thought we were going to hit a home run this year. We thought we'd have a real wet, a whole wet year. That's kind of what they were forecasting for us. Right, and uh, it turned out that we were we were just kind of a little bit tight on our rain here in Bailey County and Lubbock County. The beginning of the year it wasn't near as bad, but uh, here in Bailey County we were pretty dry all the way up. I mean, it really was dry, Seth, all the way till September. It really was. And in October we got twelve inches in October. Yeah, you know, uh, most of the folks here that, that y'all know, uh, we. We live here in uh, in in Bailey and Lamb County, um, respectively, and uh, this year was just a very uh, it was a very challenging year. I mean, like Tech said, we you know we started off and and we thought it was going to be a home run, and we had I mean we had a variance uh, using climate uh, field view. A lot of guys doing it nowadays. We, uh, we started uh, experimenting on it uh, later towards the end of the year here and uh, just using it for for record keeping. And, uh, and, and got to looking in and we had, uh, you know, from, from one part of our farms down in the Baileyboro area, I mean, we had one, one, uh, deal say that they got about 43 inches of rain, which, uh, you know, it's very possible. The cotton dryland cotton down there was pretty good. And then we all had all the way down to, uh, you know, 10 or 11 inches up here yep. Uh, yep. on the North part. And it Around just, the uh, area. You know, we got the uh, we got the old Bailey County split that I've heard so many years about. Uh, you know, it happened uh, the same way in Lamb County growing up. It, it always seemed, you know, storms come right towards you. They split apart, and then uh, everybody on the backside of you gets a good rain. That's how it was. Uh, no kidding. Uh, I was lucky to uh, find a place to buy for the 2020 year. And it's literally four, uh, four miles straight west of our head- headquarters. From uh, the beginning of the year till May, it took uh, those five months to get one inch of rain total. Uh, you'd be looking off to New Mexico, New Mexico. You'd have a line of storms coming at you, and then it'd just split and go around you. Um, the very end of this year, when we went to look at buying that farm just four miles west of you, I don't ever have a reason to go that far west. But uh, he had very good dryland cotton just four miles to the west. And then where we are, it was very tough for us to grow any grass this summer. Uh, the line was just right there, and it split us. And it ran at my house 14 miles to the north. And our uh, fields north of town did pretty fair. pretty fair. And then in north, uh, around in Lubbock, did pretty fair. But uh, most of our grass is right there in this dry spot. And uh, we fared pretty tough this spring yeah, that, and summer. That uh, that, that seems summer. to happen. I mean, you know, this year was uh, it, it was just a really challenging year, and uh, 
you know, we we had uh, conditions all the way across the board, man. I mean, you had people, some people were lucky enough to get their corn cop started early in April. Then there's a lot of guys going into May. And then even furthermore, you know, especially with the corn prices, everybody saw that, oh, you know, they're going to spike up. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to plant corn. A lot of this stuff that got held, held out with some of those storms that come through here, you know, so, you know, there's always the, uh, you can Monday morning quarterbacking anytime in farming. That's just, uh, in ranching, that's just part of it. Um, you know, looking back now, you know, we, we didn't get the rains, but we also didn't get a lot of the severe hail that a lot of guys here, you know, just you, you go on the other side of Sudan towards, uh, you know, Amherst and even to Lubbock. You know, I know guys that replanted three and four times. And so, you know, it was really dry and we really looking into, in, into the year, you know, we thought it was just going to be a really good year as well. And, and towards the end of the year, it just turned out that it, um, you know, it just turned out uh, it, it we didn't get the rain, but but on the other side, we did fare pretty well on the fact that we didn't have a lot of replanting to do because of the, you know, the severe weather. So I guess there's always, uh, you know, in every situation, there's always something that just seems like, hey, there there could be worse, you know. I do remember those hailstorms. Man, they were wild, wild, wild starting oh, off. I was going north of town to start planting hay grazer uh, the very end of April and uh, left the headquarters like where it was dry, uh, start heading to the east and this little cloud pops up, and it's got uh, a couple little tornado, tornadic uh, activity in it. They never came close to touching the ground, but they did uh, form little funnels. And then we had the tornadoes that uh, landed around the Alton area, and I chased them that night. They can't. Right. That weird cloud came out of New Mexico. I've got video of that that I guess we will post to the... Uh, Instagram page, something about farming. Yeah, that'd, Podcast. Be, that'd be really good. What is the Instagram ha- handle again? <laughs> I, I, you know, I really wish I could tell you. I think uh, it's Ty, something but... about farming podcast. But yes. uh, crazy clouds that I haven't seen uh, before come out of New Mexico, and they turned into uh, tornadoes. Little, I don't know if they were that big, but uh, well, that night I kind of chased one into new, uh, mule shoe. Just to, to go back here on, on Texas, on the SAF, come join us, guys, uh, especially new users, we, you know, new listeners. We want to hear from you guys. We, we, want, uh, we want your, your critiques, what, what you'd like to hear more about, uh, you know, on our podcast here. But uh, just go, go follow us on the old Instagram at uh, something underscore about underscore farming. And you can go there and, you know, see, uh, see posts from all the other guys in our podcast, you know, Boots and Bull and yourself and, and El Matador over here. And, uh, you know, hopefully soon we'll be bringing some of the, uh, the other voices of, uh, of reason that, that keep us all in line, so to speak here. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll be getting some more stuff from them on, uh, on the Instagram. So we'd love to, love to have you at, uh, like I said, again, at something underscore about, uh, underscore farming. Uh, the more the merrier. Please uh, spread the word and help this podcast start to grow. Uh, man, El Matador, you're bringing more uh, memories back from the beginning of this year. Like uh, I said, I kind of chased that tornadic cloud in the mule shoe, and uh, it didn't rain at all there at the headquarters. I went up to mule shoe, sprinkled a little bit, went up to the farms just north of mule shoe is dry. And I uh, had the crop planted already, and it's just dry, and uh, really bummed me out. And that would have been kind of mid-May when that was going on, I think, if I remember right. And, I think uh, you're correct on that one. It it just seemed kind of, from a 
beginning all year long is a little bit of a kick in the teeth for 2019. And then you go to Lubbock, and it's a completely different deal down there. It's it's crazy how you can go just, just from one tip of the area to another. You know, you go 20 miles north of here and then 20 miles south, and it's a whole different ball game. You know, growing up, my dad always told me, uh, you know, he said farming is a lot about – you know, uh, your, your desire to push on, you know, it's a livelihood. Most of the guys that, uh, that in this group, we all understand it. You know, there's, there's some segments of our population that don't, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a livelihood. You've got to be vested into it and you have to desire to do this every day or else you go crazy. And you got to be a kind of an optimist, you know, I would best just describe this year as a character building year, just like 2011, you know, 2011 was a lot worse with the drought uh, and it was a lot worse on a, on a widespread scale. But, uh, you know, it was just a, a character building here. And, you know, I, I just uh, – I'm thankful that uh, that it wasn't as bad as it could have been, if you know what I mean. Well, uh, and now you're bringing up even more memories of the past. Uh, remember Ghost Rider, all year he was complaining about – he was only had 3.8 inches all the way until September. I mean, it just did not rain for him. And he's like 15 miles north of Muleshoe, kind of, where his uh, farm that he was talking about – I mean, that poor guy, he just had it rough. Uh, I thought I was in a bad predicament, and he just never got any break from it. Oh, you know, sometimes that's just the way it happens. Just That's just farming, man. That's that's life. Well, uh, I mean, I don't remember that much about what went on in uh, Lubbock there towards the spring. I do remember when we were planting our cotton the first go-round. We had a cover crop this year. And that really protected us from any uh, sand blowing. And that uh, really helped us on not having to go back and replant as much. Uh, I did have to replant a couple farms that I kind of messed up. But that was a little different circumstances beyond my control. But I still had to go back and replant what I planted. I understand But uh, it was pretty smooth planting this year. Very great moisture. Uh, My dad and kind of all of our neighbors said... There's not that many years that they can ever remember that you just had the right amount of moisture the whole time you were planting. Right. Uh, we didn't have that much scratching to do. We. Uh, That's great. We did get off to a pretty good start there in Lubbock. Uh, it's a pretty good deal. And then it just dried up um, there towards the very end of June, July, which is normal, really. Yeah. You just never got a couple more storms to come in and get you through yeah one good july rain to push you on yeah hey i want to actually let's let's branch off a little bit i you know we're talking about cover crops i heard you're talking about that uh i i just want to know how how excited are you for uh for the cover crop seminar coming up in uh, no till on the plains in kansas uh boots uh my lovely girlfriend and i we're gonna be there i don't think anybody else from saf are gonna be there I wanted to go, but I had commitments that weekend, so... it uh, We really were hoping it'd be a big, great, big uh, rendezvous, and a lot of us would meet up. Maybe we can just talk power plant into going. I don't know. He's close enough. You'd think he would, but... Uh, if not for the seminar, at least have a drink with you guys. I mean, I'm so excited to go to this deal. I don't care if it's just uh, my lovely lady and I going. I'm just uh, all about this. I've been watching videos on YouTube from 2019... 2018 you can watch all kinds of videos from past years on uh, youtube and uh, i'm just over the moon about it i was real against being into the snow till program and then you start watching a beauty a few videos and a couple hours down the road you'll be kind of switched over 
Well, you know, I uh, I actually have some guys that I fly for, and uh, they uh, they spent some time uh, traveling Australia, and they learned a lot of these Australian methods, you know, and they don't have the crop insurance programs like we have here, and, you know, they don't have a lot of the, the protections and the safeguards. So, you know, it's uh, the things that they do over there. So when they do have that one good year, they just really knock it out of the park. Um, you know, a, a lot with cover crops and even in, and then going into like controlled traffic farming. And that's a little bit further on down that. I don't know if you know if you're familiar with controlled traffic farming, but, you know, guys over there, they, they don't even their their spray rigs, uh, you know, their tractors, combines, um, combines grain, ev- carts. Grain, grain, grain carts, everything is on the same uh, row pattern. And most time it's 120 inches because of their, their spray rigs. So, uh, you know. Then they, they run everything down the same set of rows. They don't venture off at all. And and it, what's crazy is you start seeing these guys that have been doing this long term, you know, and, and uh, a friend of mine named Patrick really got me looking into this because I had never heard of controlled traffic farming, but I do all their cover crops. I fly it on with the airplane, and, or I, I did a lot of it, not all of it, but, uh, you know, it was something new we tried. But they, uh, they he was telling me about this thing. And so, you know, I, I'm a very curious guy, and I'm always looking for what's next in the, in the farm uh, economy and, and what's next on the farm that just helps guys with soil health, uh, yields. Anyway, so I started reading on, on uh, controlled traffic farming. And, you know, now these guys have been doing this 10, 12 years, and, and some even longer. A lot of the weed pressure they have is just on their tire tracks. It is just completely mitigated because you don't realize how much you can pack a field over a year. You know, you just turn around here on the end row here, and, you know, your grain buggy goes across eight set of eight to go get the, the combine and then goes across another set of eight to get another combine. You just don't realize how much over the whole year that that starts adding up on when it, when it comes to compaction and, and uh you know, especially when you get up in the northern northern areas, these guys are dealing with a lot of uh, compaction issues. You know, where whereas you know we got looser soil down here, we don't see it as bad, but it still's a a problem. And you know, I I, I got uh, I, I've seen some of that stuff, like I said, going from the cover crop to even venturing as far as controlled traffic farming and and so on. It's just uh, there's a lot of things now that we did not know 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago that. Uh, better we are implementing and, and guys are, are seeing the benefits of you know of everything from soil health to uh you know to, to weed pressure uh, you know actually starting to drop off some and 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 taking care of of resistant weeds even you know going as far as that and it's a, it's a really neat time to be alive in, in the farming world i mean if you uh start digging around on youtube much on the no-till stuff uh you're gonna run across mike judy and uh he says, Mother Nature is always trying to cover up bare dirt, and uh, bare dirt is not natural at all. And so Mother Nature is going to want to try and put a weed, something that grows very fast and branches out and is leafy, to cover up that bare soil. You always want to have uh, armor on your soil. And uh, what we're trying to do, uh, I mean, conventional agriculture is very unnatural and against Mother Nature's laws. Uh, the reason everybody tills their dirt is for, uh, maximum soil, uh, nutrient release. Right. It, uh, makes all your nutrients very, uh, susceptible for, uh, uptake for your plants. But, uh, switching back over to that no-till program, it's going to take a couple years for a guy to, uh, see any difference in it because you're between transitions. Right. And honestly, guys, I'm getting all this from YouTube, so. 
Hey, yeah. there's a lot you can learn on YouTube. I mean, if you can't figure it out, that's the place to go. But uh, we really are just a few. Well, last year in Lubbock, we were 100% just a monoculture. Everything was just wheat. We killed all that wheat in April, planted cotton into it. This year we did the same. Our wheat crop as of right now and just that great. Uh, last year by December, we were doing a little better on our wheat coming up. But, I mean, it's just so much easier living with this. The amount of hours we save not running our tractors all year long. Sand running fighters. cultivators. You know, you get, you get on through it and... Uh, you know, even look at what it's like uh, for most of y'all that aren't experienced with what it's like in the panhandle, you know, even even as far as in, in, into the Oklahoma panhandle and up into Kansas. If you're not f- familiar with what it's like in the springtime when we get one of these good, you know, uh, one of these good big wind days, you know, and you hear guys up in New York and, and uh, you know, even Chicago. And I know Chicago is the windy city, but, you know, they start complaining when it's 15 to 20 mile an hour winds. And uh, whereas that's kind of our every day, and we'll get those good 60 mile an hour, 65, 70 mile an hour days during the spring. The bomb cyclone this year <laughs> that brought uh, sand from all the way down in far west Texas, way over in the uh, Permian sub- Basin, Permian yeah. Basin, all the way up to Michigan. Mm-hmm. They found uh, West Texas sand in the snow of West uh, of Michigan. So anything is a horrible. Anything horrible we can do to to stop. The, the erosion, the massive amounts of erosion that, that are, are happening to our soil has got to be good for the soil. You know, and it's it's nice with the wheat crop, like you said. You put it down, and, uh, you know, it might not look the best, but it's still holding its own a little bit, enough to hold some of the soil down. So Suppressing weed somewhat, yeah, come mitigating February. your erosion, and then the more years you get lined up in a row, I mean, the more that all builds on top of each other, the monoculture in your dirt starts to switch over. You get a lot more earthworms. We do have uh, quite a bit more earthworms. Uh, the last several years prior to 18, we'd uh, grow hay in Lubbock on a lot of our nematode ground, and uh, then the next year would follow by cotton. And the dark color you'd get out of that cotton the mm-hmm. next year, and then there'd be earthworm earthworms in that soil where you weren't plowing right. versus everything else would be uh, conventional. You'd rip it. List it, rod weed it, plant it, run a cultivator over it two, three times. Not to mention the up to seven times that you'd sand fight it, but that's mm-hmm. not really hurting earthworms too much. But that sand fighter is definitely poking holes in all your pre-emergent. So you're letting your weeds come up through that layer of pre-emergent you got down. And yep. uh, not to mention all the hours. And a wasted day. It's not wasted because you got to save a crop, but... You know, like my dad always considered it, you know, we did it, but it was just, a, it was a wasteful way to use your, your diesel and your time. And your time. You know, yep. and, and anything that we can do to keep that from happening. And and, and the loss that, that's incurred just from the, the little bit of sand that gets blowing, you know, on a lot of those plants. And, and if you can do anything with uh, with bringing in more organic matter in, it, into the equation to help that, it, it's got to be a, a win-win. It doesn't even take 15 minutes to just severely hurt a crop. When your sand gets up and moving, it, well, that's the truth. It's seconds matter in a deal like that. Yeah, you watch, you can watch it from the the dirt road, and it goes up the bar ditch, and then two seconds later, your whole field's blowing. 
And, uh, you know, that's just, uh, and, and sometimes it's, it's blowing so bad, even when it's just so wet, you can't put a tractor in it. Yep. So we don't, yep. uh, you know, we're, we're all in favor of the, of the no-till here. I think it really gives farmers better names, like, uh, not so much around here in the Bailey County, around the state line where there's still a lot of CRP everywhere. The percentage of really cultivated land in the county is quite a bit lower than like that around Lubbock and farther east, north and south. You know, you get into that uh, better land. But you be in Lubbock and a windy day comes up and it's just a nasty, dirty haze. Mm-hmm. Now, every farmer listening to us right now, you can't tell me that that's not giving farmers a bad name and not giving all these leftists more ammunition to come across and t- attack us for being bad for the environment when we're literally filling the entire atmosphere full of sand. I mean, that's just a horrible deal. We're killing people in car accidents because you can't even see. Sometimes these farms get so bad. Uh, one of our farms was actually on the news. Uh, because there's actually a hay farm that we had planted, but, I mean, the plants were just coming out of the ground, and we didn't. We ended up going in there and rotary hoeing it, but we were so bad, we shut down an uh, intersection. We were that bad to blow That's it. That's crazy. We made the news. I mean, it was just a horrible, horrible name for farmers, and we don't want to be doing that. We want to be... We're stu- God called us to be stewards of the land. And, and to take care of the, the abundant natural resources that he's given us. Now, some get more of those natural resources, such as the guys up in the up and down the Mississippi River with the rain this year, than, uh, than we do. But we, uh, you know, that I'm a firm believer in stewardship, uh, you know, and not only just in, in, in the farming world, but in money and everything else. And I feel the, the better you are with it, the more he's going to give you to manage. So, you know, if, if the better we are with being stewards of our crop, the better crops he's going to give us. And, and, and who knows, maybe the better opportunities or the higher prices of, of you know, of that stewardship would bring. There's definitely more benefits to have to uh, to be in the uh, no-till uh, program than uh, non-no-till. From how I see it, in this area of the world, I'd say we desperately need to move more into that way. But it is definitely one of those things that uh, the no-till guys say. You have to fix yourself before you can fix others. That's right. And uh, but I, I, so and far, I really like it. Yeah, and you, you know, just as that saying goes as well, you can't lead a horse to water and, and expect him to drink. Yep. So it's going to have to be a generational thing as, as we move on throughout the generations that the younger guys are going to have to learn it and they're going to have to implement it when they start taking over the farm. Um, I, I, I want to move on here a little bit and let's go, uh, go a little bit further looking into 2020 past the, uh, the no-till on the plains. And I want to know, uh, what, what are some other things you're looking forward to in 2020? Well, I was, uh, lucky enough. I think I did mention this a little bit previously, but, uh, I was able to buy my first farm starting out this year and I'm just over the moon about it. I can't wait for things to warm up enough and, March and April when I can actually start plowing it. Right, it was conventional till, and so right now it's just bare ground with cotton stalks in it, and uh, it's not blowing right now, so I'm not gonna touch it at all till it does finally work loose and start being a problem. It does have beds in it, and it's got stalks in it, so I have to uh, run a chisel over it, and run a flail shredder or a bat wing shredder is what I have shred all the stalks, and uh, get it flat for 
to be able to run a swather over it and everything. Um, has quite a few washes in it that I am going to fill up. Um, quite a bit of erosion being no-till, but uh, I have a quarter of irrigated land that's pretty weak water and then a quarter of uh, dry land, but uh, it's in a great location for us to be able to manage and uh, I'm just over the moon that the uh, quality of that farm for my first farm truly a first farm uh i can't wait very excited about 2020 that's exciting i i can just tell I, i've just got to ask i can just tell looking at your face have you been over there like every week I, I can just tell you you've just been driving by that place constantly haven't you definitely anytime the wind starts blowing very bad you just look off to new mexico and you see that kind of haze rising off the horizon and i'm like oh my goodness i hope that's not mine blowing <laughs> it's not even mine yet i can't do anything if i wanted to do anything but uh i've just been so worried about it i wanted to go over there yesterday it was pretty windy and i never did but uh yeah any chance i can go over there and just look at it and make sure it's still there <laughs> i understand I'm trying to go over there that's uh, that's got to be an exciting time uh you know to experience especially with your being your first ground um that's uh, that's something that uh, that that every beginning young uh, up and coming farm and rancher uh, are looking forward to. You know, I, I'm still looking forward to the day that uh, that I find some ground around here that I really like to purchase. That's uh, that's going to be my first place to set some roots down. And I really have to. I mean, I never would have got the drive from me uh, personally to take up my own land and start trying to farm if it wasn't for this group chat coming into my life. And all the boys talking about their land that they have, that they're farming, and uh, sharing all these ideas that we share with each other all day. Uh, I mean, it never even crossed my mind to find my own land to start farming. Uh, I found one farm, is only 80 acres, uh, before that uh, I was able to get several years ago. But I was never just thinking about my future alone and what I could be farming on myself. Uh, this group chat, I owe it all to the group chat and yeah. all the boys. The uh, we we have something very special here. Uh, you know, I've uh, I've been around uh, you know a lot of groups and 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 uh, groups of people growing up, and and I can tell you, uh, in in my personal opinion, we have some of the finest young men and women in agriculture that the America has to offer, and uh, and we're very excited with this podcast. Uh, you know to bring these voices to, to you. I mean, we're, we're just normal people, uh, you know, normal everyday people. We have jobs other than podcasts and we don't make money from radios or advertisers. We, uh, we're going to tell you what, what we think works, what we don't think works. And we're going to ask your opinions and everybody else's. It's just, uh, you know, it's a learning thing and God gave us a desire to, uh, not only to, uh, you know, to, to do our daily, our daily goals and our daily tasks and, and what we, want to do for our careers but he also gave us a, a desire to share it with with people and in a way that helps uh build everybody up there's there's you know there's so many times people get at each, at each other's throats and and you know farmers getting mad at other farmers you know people have accidents drift claims all kinds of stuff and and we want to take that away i mean how, how much greater would it be if you had your neighbor thinking about you praying for you praying for him and you praying for him and praying for your other neighbors because if if they have weed pressures it's only going to come to you so you want everybody you know to be as successful as possible that way you can be successful you know i read a story the other day and it was talking about a guy 
and it was a parable. Um, so anyway, for you guys in in uh, other states besides Texas, a parable means that it's something that you know it's a, it's teaching you a lesson. <laughs> anyway, I, I was gonna insult the great folks and lock me over there just, but uh, but I'm not gonna do that today. That, that's uh, for another time. But the parable was uh, was talking about a guy, and he uh, he grew prize winning corn every year, and it talked about he. Uh, you know, they asked him what the key to his success was. And he said, you know, they said, we heard that you uh, you give the neighbors the same kind of corn that you grow, your secrets, the, you, you give it to your neighbors. And he said, yes, because if I have neighbors growing inferior corn, when my corn goes to pollinate, it's going to pollinate with their inferior corn and it's going to degrade my quality. So the only thing that I could do was build my neighbors up so that I may further build myself up. And that is, the, in essence, what we're trying to do with something about farming. I mean, I just can't wait to uh, get a large community of us all across the nation, uh, just like-minded people. Uh, I mean, think about to all your friends, if there's one of them that's just a little bit, uh, I mean, you always just, uh, like-minded people are the ones you always tend to get along the best with. The more we can find with this podcast, the greater it'd be, and hopefully, uh, encourage everybody else to do better in their life and let them know that they're not the only ones out there when i was a young boy growing up i really did think i was the only one around here until i found this group chat basically uh i didn't know there was other people like me that were so hard working every day being so young I, i'm just so happy oh yeah it's, <laughs> it's hard working people out there it's a great feeling especially to find the guys in our generation you know you hear people always talking about the millennial generation that yes. gen xers i still don't want to claim that i'm a, a millennial but uh you know it's uh it's something that our generation doesn't have really going for us is the is the people thinking of of us as a work ethic uh you know we're we're right in the uh, in the area that we uh, we have technology to help us with the farming and and you know and ranching and we have uh, you know the old school ways and the new school ways and everybody's coming in now trying to blend it and uh, and it's just great to like like Tech said it's just great to find a group of like-minded individuals that we can bounce ideas back and forth to each other and basically further on and build our uh, you know build our empires <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. I mean, so many people dog the internet that it uh, it's pretty corruption, uh, really corrupts family or something like that. But uh, man, if you use the internet right, the amount of people you can find and the amount of uh, solutions to problems that you have with basically anything anymore, you can find it on the internet and work your way through it way better. It's just it just all uh, becomes the how you use the tool exactly with it's, anything else it, in life exactly i was fixing it to hit on that same point it's a tool and if used right and properly it it reaps you know re- reaps a, a a harvest of righteousness and, and uh you know when when used wrongly it can it can have very negative impacts uh with social media and and even going on as far as uh you know just just anything really i mean you could you could destroy my dad used to tell me you could destroy more in 15 minutes than you could build in 15 years. 100%. I do believe that. Well, <laughs> Seth, I'm going to really slam the brakes on and circle back, but uh, we talked a little bit about my uh, 2019. Uh, what do you have to uh, add about the things you're grateful for, trials? You know, uh, it, this was a, like I, like I mentioned earlier, to me this was a, a character-building year. Um, you know, it started out, it, it, this happened to, to, 
be one of the uh, the best years of my career so far on a flying aspect, but it's really not where it could have been. The potential was there. I'm ever grateful for what we did have, um, you know, and then on the farming side, uh, you know, we had some pretty good cotton and, and things that uh, that I got to be a part of that I was very happy, but there's always the potential for, I guess, for improvement, further learning, and then further, uh, you know, just further blessings that, that could, uh, you know, improve us such as rains and, and timely rains and just good growing conditions. But you know, this year was just uh, it was a really good year. Um, I finally got to, to come back to my home area. Um, you know, get, get to hang around guys, my age that, that I knew that I grew up with and meet some new guys like Southern, uh, or something about farming in here. And, um, these guys have just pushed me to be, to be better. And, and I'm, I'm very, uh, very glad that uh, my 2019 that was some of the best times of my 2019 and and uh going into 2020 I, the sky's the limits i mean you know we're looking today at raining it it might not have been raining hard but it's moisture and we're thankful for it and it's just uh my attitude going into 2020 is just phenomenal it's going to be the best year yet i just have that feeling and i'm looking at it that way and here we go we're definitely smarter than we've ever been uh that's another great thing. Uh, I never even knew uh, Matador, El Matador, till about July of last year. Yeah. Uh, we lived got 10 back, mi- 12 miles from each other. Yeah, literally 10 minutes apart. And uh, turns out I got a close, uh, like-minded friend that flies a ag tractor over me all the time. Air tractor. And uh, <laughs> finally finally got to meet the guy and became best friends with him. But uh, Yeah, it's and it's that's been uh, that's just another thing. And then I mean we got Wade, he's right down the road. Gerhardt, he's another hard charger. I mean we just uh you know, Ghost Rider, that guy is uh you know, he's just uh, he's a hard charger and well yeah. we got welfare, you know, it's just the guys in our area we're we're close. I mean we're within thirty minutes of each other and, and you know, just to think most of us probably wouldn't have been friends with one of each other if we you know, we without this group we've just not known each other honestly with that old uh, welfare uh, yeah nobody would have met anybody uh no kidding uh, when i first got put into the group in july uh the amount of competition that you kind of put yourself in when you're new to a group you know you always want to outdo somebody else in the group <laughs> you just run yourself ragged and uh, we always had somebody to talk to basically 24 7 i mean it was just a high power group of people and it's great it's great now we've kind of gotten to know each other too well and we're a little bit complacent and don't work near as hard as we do and it's <laughs> it's in the winter months you know when everybody slows down but uh there's really not anything that you can ask the group and not get an answer that somebody's tried it group. or done it or some you know even if it's not the answer you're looking for they can tell you hey this didn't work out for me i you know i'd recommend trying something else we we have been pretty pretty blessed to have a, a very good group that that have a, a great number of, of knowledge and years of experience in this career. Uh, it's just uh, there's really not anything bad you can say about it. There's just a bunch of great people, great friends, and uh, this podcast is what uh, it's all. Be- uh, everybody in this group is what made this podcast come up. You know, and, and looking into 2020, another thing that we are. Uh, both uh, Tex and I are, are very, uh, very adamant on is making this podcast in, into a, a more 
uh, adamant part of our life. Um, you know, we want to share this more. You know, we always talk and we'll, we'll, you know, talking during the day and we say, hey, this is something we'd like to bring, you know, bring to the uh, the podcast and this and this. Then we just get so busy in our our daily lives, we kind of push it off to the side and then we, we do these every once in a while. But we, we actually want to make something out of this. So we're going to, you know, this 2020, we're going to push real hard to start doing this on a more regular basis. And, and maybe we can get the entire group involved in this. And, and that's what we're looking forward to. And uh, hopefully for the whole... Uh Month of January, we're definitely going to have a podcast every Farming Friday is when we'd like to uh, start coming to you. Farming Fridays, people, uh, hopefully you can depend on it. Please rate this podcast five stars if you believe in it. A comment would definitely help a lot more than a five-star rating, but uh, tell some friends about it. Uh, we'd really love to build a, build a great community and uh, hear f- uh, feedback. But we are going to definitely start making this more of a uh, weekly deal for sure. And uh, be a regular be a regular in your weekly rotation. We'd like to start off, um, you know, we're, we were talking and we kind of want to start. Uh, you've heard a little bit of our histories here and there. But we'd actually like to take a little further in-depth look at each one of us and, and kind of that what shaped us over the past couple of uh, generations of our folks and grandfolks and what shaped us into where we are and uh, just so we, you know, on a, it, it's not that it matters to a lot of people. You might not matter. You know, it doesn't matter what y'all think about my family or whatnot. But we all we want to show you where we come from and what, what what we're working for. We have our ways of doing things. Everybody's different, you know. And uh, we have our sights set on something and the way we think it should be done. And other people are different. And so we we want to bring that to you, kind of a story of of everybody in the group and how we came to uh, to be what we are today. That started uh, something about farming. Uh, Seth was talking, uh, was talking earlier about, uh, the land rush, uh, in the early twenties coming up, uh, his family around the, uh, Olton area, Spring Lake area. Yes, sir. Uh, the podcast that's supposed to drop, uh, a couple weeks ago, I guess, in, uh, time you're coming to this would be about my granddad and his history coming to Lubbock and some of my family around Lubbock and uh, Richland Springs around uh, Central Texas. Uh, Seth mentioned to me earlier when he's cooking us some great pork chops and mashed potatoes and green beans this evening uh, that his family came up this part of the world kind of in the 1920s to the land rush. And I didn't know very much about the development. I know I had some family that actually moved from uh, Richland Springs to up here, the YL community, right. just uh, really just two, three miles east of uh, Muleshoe, and that would have been, I think, 1924. That sounds about right. You know, my, uh, I guess it would have been my great-great-grand, or my great-great-granddad, he moved from Paris to, uh, to Brownwood, and he was a beekeeper out there. And then my great granddad, um, you know that, that that was after my great granddad was born and, and raised up. And my great granddad had lived and farmed out in uh, in Paris, Texas, uh, growing cotton out there. And they come out here in a car, in uh, in in the uh, early twenties. I, I don't have an exact date uh, on exactly when they came, but they had uh, gathered up all their money and their stuff, and they loaded up in a car and drove out here. And they bought some land that had come out of the the government contracts out here, and they settled around the Spring Lake area and built a church there and, and farmed there for many years with mule and wagons and, and mule and implements, you know. And uh, they grew on in, in about in the, 
I want to say it was probably the the late 30s. They had moved from Spring Lake over to Olton, and uh, my great granddaddy married a girl from here in Sudan. Her home places were not too far down the road here. One of my uh, cousins actually still owns it, and they had uh, they had moved to Olton uh, out on the uh, the south. Uh, I guess it'd be the southeast side of Olton, and they had bought some land about two and a half miles outside of town, and and they settled on a quarter there. My granddaddy had built a barn and a house there, and um, you know he he farmed there a little bit with mules, and then he went and got him a tractor, traded in all his stuff, and they started farming with a tractor, and they they lived in that house and and worked that land until 1955 when a tornado outbreak uh, throughout the Panhandle come through and tore down their house. Didn't get their barn, but it got their house. So they ended up at that point moving into town and still kept the, the home place, and it was there. Uh, I guess it was in my family up until about 2011. And it was sold uh, when my uncle quit farming. But, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's a really strange thing. In, in the 20s, it was a, a great land rush out here. Many, many families in this area started during that time. And that's, uh, you know, they, they came out here from the east and some from the west. And, and they took upon it themselves. They saw the promise in the land that we see and they made something of it. This was a part of Texas that was irrigatable. Uh, my uh, uncle from uh we're just gonna call him my uncle uh, my kinfolk from uh richland springs he always wanted to have some irrigated land and he came up here in the 20s right after they'd gotten married and uh this right where the highway 84 cuts through the sand hills right here just to, right here where uh, el matador's house is they talked about crossing the sand hills in a model t and uh, to get through the sand, they would pull up soap weed and stuff under the tires to give them traction to get through these sand hills a couple miles up to Muleshoe. And uh, there's no way really around the sand hills unless you go way over north of Lubbock and then come back over yeah. by Plainview way. Uh, sand hills stretch from way off into New Mexico to. Uh, east of Littlefield, there's no way to get around them. You just got to run through them. And, uh, yeah, they kind of cut off there. Uh, you get uh, close between Cotton Center and uh, and Highway 70, that intersection there. That's about the only way that uh, around the, the sand hills there and through the draw. They, uh, in their diary, they said this. The, they got here and then the next day was a very bad sandstorm. Uh, I don't know what time of the year they got here, but... Uh, my grand, my uh, grandma, not my grandmother, but my aunt, said uh, it was very depressing. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, my granddad used to tell me stories before he passed on last year. You know, he'd tell me stories that uh, he was telling me stories about the Dust Bowl and how they had it. They had to have a rope attached from their barn to their house, so in case they got caught out in the shop or in the, in the barn feeding, that they could get back to the house because it was so. The, the sandstorms were so violent, you know, and he said that my uh, my great-grandmother would get wet towels, kind of, and they'd wrap them around their faces during the storm, and then you'd pull them off, and they were white towels, and they'd pull them off after the storm, and they'd be stained black just from a, you know, the amount of dirt, and they said it would be piled, you know, sometimes they, they even had a storm bad enough one time, it almost covered up the barn, they couldn't find the barn when they walked out of the house, they followed the rope, and it was buried under a sand hill. Uh, my granddad, I didn't get him to say this on the podcast when we did one. That was way back in November when we did that. 
But uh, when he first came to the Lubbock area, just south of Lubbock around the slide area from Richland Springs, uh, they just moved into a house and he's working at the blacksmith shop. The section, they basically lived on the section lines. And the section just to the west of him, uh, it blew so bad the rows were running east and west so the wind would blow right down the rows. And uh, it just filled their house full of sand. And it was so full of sand, they couldn't even get the sand out. And they just waited till the uh, wind was blowing right, a windy day. And they opened all the doors and windows and started just sweeping, sweeping out the house. It was that bad. Uh, all the equipment back then was four-row uh, bars, you know. Uh, what is that, 12 feet? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said it covered up his planter and his cultivator. So that's 24 inches of sand Golly. that piled up outside. Uh, he said it was just horrible. Uh, there's no way to stop things back then. They really didn't have sand fighters yeah, and they didn't. back then that long ago. That would have been in 47 when he first came out here. You know, I got an interesting story uh, kind of going around that time frame, but uh, one of the wettest years in, in, uh, in Lamb County where I, I currently reside and where my families reside for, you know, well, I guess it's been 2020 now, uh, almost 100 years. Uh, we've, we've gone back in Lamb County. Um, you know, they, uh, they talked about, uh, hard years and then they talked about some good years. Well, one of the, the funniest stories that I got told, uh, before, uh, well, it was right after my granddad passed, but before his funeral, my uncle was telling me who owned the, the home place there, uh, after my granddad got out of, or great granddad got out of farming. Uh, he had bought it from him, but you know, in 19, I think it's 1946 was the wettest year on, in Lamb County. And uh, they got something like 64 inches of rain in one year, which is, you know, for some folks that's that's normal, but for that's us about that is three times that's over three average. to four times over average. I mean, it is a ton of rain. Well, that year, my granddad and my uh, my or my great granddad and my great grandma they had a little tussle because my great granddad had drilled a well on the wettest year in Lamb County, and his wife just couldn't she couldn't believe it that he had spent all that money. And my, the way my uncle had talked, it was a couple grand that they had spent to drill this well. I mean, it was a lot of money back then, and he had got a loan for it. And uh, But he had the foresight to know that, that even though it was raining that year, it, one day it probably wasn't going to keep that up. You know, and it was wall-to-wall corn. You know, I hear stories about that, and they said it would start raining in July. You know, it doesn't do that now, but the weather patterns have kind of shifted. But it would start raining in July, and they'd take July and September off, and they'd go fishing. And then they'd come back and harvest corn. But, uh, you know, you could go down there and they'd be watering out of ditches and, and using coffee cans instead of tube before tubes came out, you know, and and be watering row by row and they'd just be running down the bar ditches. But they never they never knew what we know now. And I think if they did, I even think those those guys were still stewards of the land. Even after the Dust Bowl, they realized that it couldn't continue on like this. So a lot of those guys, I feel that they uh if they knew what we knew now, that a lot of things would have changed. But they said back then it was just wall-to-wall corn in Lamb County and, and water just running down to bar ditches just didn't make a difference. They just didn't think it was ever going to run out because the water the way, was so good. All the way up into the 70s is the same way. Uh, at the end of everybody's rows on the downstream side, it would be Bermuda grass. And they'd run cows on that Bermuda grass where the water would run out at the end of the field. Uh, my granddad talked about 
the amount of water it took to grow a bale of cotton back then, <laughs> you couldn't believe it. You'd be growing five bale cotton, literally four bale cotton, not even batting an eye with the amount of water they could put on just irrigation-wise. He'd water every 40 inches, every single row, so it's not every 80 inches like most people do. Uh, water every single row. They'd list beds up. They'd water it till that whole bed was black to the top of the bed. It'd absorb all that water way up above water level to the top of the bed. They'd start watering uh, in 53, I think. Uh, natural gas was, they had a surplus of it, and they were literally giving it away. Uh, the oil companies were, and the dealers were selling it a cent a gallon, uh, just to peddle it. Right. So everybody started watering February 1st instead of March 1st. So they'd water every 40 inches till the beds was black, and then in uh, May when it came time to plant, they still had to bust, uh, bust their plant. It was that dry. I think that was 54. Yeah, it was extreme, extremely dry that year. And uh, just the amount of water they would pour on everything. So they'd plant, and then they'd run all that water down on top of the seed trench, soak the seed trench, run a, a, a rotary hoe over it, bust that all up. Then you got all those weeds coming up in there. Uh, it's just insane what they'd use, the amount of water they could put on. Uh, yeah, you know, I've heard stories about that, and it just, uh, you know, it's it's it was insane. I mean, they, you know, I, I still know a guys up in the in the northern panhandle that are finally starting to explore. And, you know, I was talking to a guy a few years back. I went and talked to him about maybe uh, going to work for him spraying. And uh, anyway, uh, he was telling me they had drilled a well, and they stopped. They got a pump, and they got to pumping 1,800 gallons a minute, and they just decided not to put any bigger pumps in it. They didn't know how long it was going to last. But they were pulling a consistent 1,800 gallons out, and they had never seen that. And that's just, I mean, that's the kind of water that was here with the Ogallala, you know, back in those days. Back around the uh, Bovina area, they can pull two, they could pull 2,000 gallons a minute out. I mean, that's basically limitless water that you can deal with, especially when you're running tubes and siphons. I mean, imagine how many tubes you're always having to change every six hours, four hours. That's crazy. Well, you know what? It's all a guy could handle. Just just to give you a, a frame of reference on, on type of water like that, uh, I had a friend that went down actually to Columbus, New Mexico, right south of Deming, and they, they bought some land down there, and they were farming. The water was real salty, and uh, but they had a lot of water. I mean, like 2,000 gallons, 2,400 gallons a minute. They were running 400 half-mile rows on one My set of water. gosh. 400 half-mile rows at a time with tubes out of concrete ditches. They were pulling that kind of water. And I mean, just but 400 rows. You know, I can remember the time when I thought we'd we'd run 40 to 50 rows, double tubes, and I thought that was just a ton. And these guys are running 400 half-mile rows. Like uh, the pivot I have closest to where Seth and I, to where El Matador and I are right now, 430 gallons a minute is what I'm working with. I mean, that's so far from 2,000, it's not even funny. Mm-hmm. 430's hard to live with. That farm I just bought is uh, 298. <laughs> I mean, there's not very much water there at all. Is it salty or? 
Uh, they say it's in a trench, and like the average for us right here, like the well will be there 120 feet deep. Um, he's kind of in a vein that's uh, his wells are at 280. Oh, okay. So he's in a little trench. So maybe I can put another well in and get up to the high 300s, hopefully, at right. least. Hopefully I can get another 100 gallons a minute. But, uh, I mean, it, it's just a completely different landscape. But the kind of genetics they were working with back then, they couldn't. They couldn't do anything with 400 no. gallons a minute. Nope. You know, it's, and then uh, the row watering. The amount of evaporations you'd lose off of that versus drip and uh, pivot irrigation, they couldn't handle it at all. What's well, even you know even now some some guys here, I mean you know with as much advancement or as many advancements as is happening in irrigation with uh, drip and and low pressure leap of systems, you know there's still guys out here running spray patterns on nozzles that are chest high and it's just every time I drive by it I cringe. You know, it's their stuff. They can do what they want. But, you know, with the lessons that we have learned, a lot of them are learned the hard way. You know, at one time, my dad had the deepest well in Lamb County. It's 580 feet to Red Bed. I mean, deep down there. It's been broken since then, and that was probably in about 2000. And it was in the early 2000s when he had that. It's 580 feet to Red Bed. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, the, the lessons have learned. With, with the drought in 2011, you know, we, we started on a, a – we were already on a slide, but we had a slide that year, like, had not been recorded. And uh, and it just seems every year we we went further down the pipes, and it's kind of one of those things that we wanted to – you know, guys like us that are our age, we're going to be the guys that are going to be solving these problems here in 20, 30 years with no water. So, you know, it's, it's stuff like that makes you kind of cringe when you're like, oh, there's just – there's a better way. Everything costs money, and, and I understand that. It just, you know, it's one of those things you see that, and you just don't like it. It ain't something you want to see. That's the deal about it. Uh, I mean, our average uh, decline in the aquifer is about a foot and a quarter every year. That's about the average. Uh, I don't remember how much it was. Was it around two feet and 11? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was a little it was, over that, I think. It was quite a bit. Uh Excuse me there. I don't know. Like, uh, El Matador and I, we're basically on the southern end of the Olala in our area. And we're living in a a depopulated part of our counties. Um, And I guess we're kind of looking at what the future is going to bring for uh, the area north of us where they do have water still. Uh, You go a little bit north just to, I mean... 15 miles in every quarter section that's flat. Anything that they can run a pivot up and down is all irrigated. And uh, that is going to disappear somewhat till it kind of self-regulates itself. But uh, We're just hoping for that one good rainy year and then a couple more to follow it and a couple more to follow that and maybe we can uh, reverse this trend. Maybe with uh, cover crops and conservation. Always improving on itself. We can uh, help things quite a bit. But, yes, uh, sir. I don't know. We better figure out a way to make this uh, country eat a lot more red meat and uh, get everybody believing that red meat's not the uh, end of the world, well, beef you... production-wise, because there's going to be a lot more cattle raised in the uh, central part of this country. When, uh, you know the problem... less corn grown in it. The problem is, is, is people... 
that uh, that believe that cows are the problem. I mean, do you, do they not realize the amount of domesticated animals that we have that produce? You know, the the biggest argument with cows is methane gas. Do they not realize the amount of methane gas produced by domesticated animals with their house, you know, house dogs and house cats and their horses is just unbelievable. But they think it's the cows when there's four and five times as many other animals as there are cows. How are cows the only problem? And they don't know, but those dogs are eating all the trimmings off of the packing plants. The, the worst, nastiest cuts of the cows, well, that we think are nasty. But that's what's all going into dog food, and that's what's getting fed to cats and dogs. And these cats and dogs aren't doing anything for the country, I mean, at all. But uh, they're not seeing it as anything close to the problem. Exactly. And I think that's just, uh, that's where the, the something about, yeah, the bias is and the something about farming podcast. You know, we're, we're hoping to start uh, eventually, we want to reach part of that, uh, the, the segment of society that, uh, you know, the, the average uh, person in the United States is three generations removed from the farm. That means them, their parents, and their parents' parents didn't farm or didn't ranch. They they're not they're not anywhere within the realm of this. And we'd like to uh, you know we're hoping that us and a lot of other agriculture guys are reaching out and trying to show that we care so much about what we do. We do we do not wake up for the majority of us. I know there's bad apples in every bunch, but the majority of us do not wake up every morning you know, wanting to run the environment. You know, this, this is going to provide a livelihood for myself, my son, my daughter, my son's daughters and son's sons. You know, I mean, we're, we want it to be sustainable. You know, we're, we are growing more uh, crops on less ground using less inputs than ever before in history. We're losing farmland every day to development and houses and it's amazing with technology the way it is in farming a, lo- a lot to do with uh, with gmos even i mean the things that we can do with a plant to make it more efficient it, it's just it's so uh, to me it's just such a a weird thing that that could be looked at as anything but helpful well i mean like uh okay just run piggybacking off of the gmo thing if we never came out with Bolgard and Bolgard 2 and uh, got away from using uh, cedar uh, roof tiles on everybody's house, it was a haven for the bull, we- bull weevil. This whole country wouldn't have been, uh, I mean, right now we're living in the biggest cotton patch in the country. The Baggett knows Three the, million biggest, the biggest acres. contiguous cotton patch in the world. In the world, in the world. Uh... 3 million acres, 3.5, I think is what it is. But, uh, like my granddad and Set El Matador's granddad, they all came north because the bull weevil was pussing them out, running them out in the 20s and the 40s, even the early 40s. My granddad, he talked about they just made a couple bales of cotton that year. Is that bad? You couldn't make any money. And uh, in the 90s, when they finally got government backing to eradicate the bull weevil and just spray every acre of this country up mm-hmm. here, and then uh, you had Bolgard uh, and Bolgard 2, that the plant made its own uh, naturally grown made chemical that uh, would reject that bug and kill it. Uh, I mean, 
you talk about uh, technological advances that and we can't we, be matched by any other countries. And we stopped using a lot of the harmful chemicals. I mean, you go going back even back to like DDD or DDT and then uh, like methylparathion and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, there was some bad stuff that that used to be sprayed before these things came out. And now we're, we're, I mean, you know, on average, we're, uh, we're back in the day. I mean, they were making seven, eight, nine, ten trips across fields sometimes, even more spraying, trying to kill insects and bugs, where now we're, we might be doing one to two. Well, it's like my granddad said in that podcast, uh, it's already out by now, but all they had to do, all they had to kill bugs back then was arsenic. They were just spraying arsenic over the crops. <laughs> How detrimental! No wonder everybody's got con- uh, cancer walking around. That's in that age group, you know. Yeah, I, I don't think that that's a you know that's kind of a different deal here. I, I don't think that uh, cancer rates have spiked because of agriculture. I just think it's something that they weren't able to diagnose as good back We're in the day. We're doing more to uh, mitigate that. But now, we, yeah, if, if it was anything nowadays, with everything we are doing and the things that we know, we're doing more to mitigate anything like that. That uh, that was detri- detrimental. Now you know, and even even cleaning up the land and the soil health. You know, tying that back in with with uh, no till on the plains. I mean, you know, we we start improving our soil health, then we're gonna have just the natural. You know, the bee populations. People have been crying for a long time that the bee uh, bee populations have been declining, even though studies have shown that that's not exactly the case. Um, but we're we're looking to to improve the soil health and, and bring back the uh, the natural pollinators. And, and you know, with that, it ju- I just can't help but think that that ain't going to help with our uh, our drought situations, you know. They've how- already proven that uh, in North Dakota, where a large part of that uh, country has gone into no-till, back in the 90s, they've elevated their humidity uh their average humidity has risen over those years. And it takes, and the thing about it is it takes rain to make rain. Yes. And I've heard that my whole life. It takes rain to make rain. How many times do you get that one good rain in June and it brings back some July storms or that one good rain in July you just needed and a week later or three days later, two days later, you're getting another round because it's it's evaporating all the uh the, you know, the, the, the water on the ground and then it's just condes- condensating and it's going back in the atmosphere and then coming back down as a rain. So, uh, you know, anything we can do to try to bring the rain, the literal rainmaker, back this way would uh, would just be great for us. I, uh, I just think there's a lot of promise to all be had in this uh, no-till. And, uh, I mean, folks, most of the people listening to this podcast are going to be like-minded people. They're going to be fellow farmers and ranchers and preaching to the choir on most of this, but... Uh, Honestly, we're not waking up every day trying to kill the whole population. We're not just working for Monsanto. You know, my children, the biggest thing that I've tried to argue for this longest time, if I didn't 100% believe in what I do, you know, as an aero applicator and then then working on the farm, and and if I didn't 100% believe in the methods that we do, do you think that I would let my children and my wife eat this stuff? You've got 2 million people in this country that are the owners operators of this country making all these decisions two million people and that doesn't even come close to the amount of farm hands it's like one-third of the country is related to ag when you include the truck drivers all the uh it's one-third of the country just anything in ag i mean i i think it's probably more than that today and we're all just uh, a corporate shrill 
to Monsanto, basically. Yeah, I don't. I don't. There's buy no. It. You're being fed a line of old people. You know, uh, farmers are some of the uh, the most independent, and, and ranchers, they're the most independent thinking people you know. Uh, or you might not know them, but, but we're some of the most independent-minded people out there. And, and to think that we could be beholden to somebody over the, the almighty dollar, to me, is just asinine. Um, you know, to go going back. It's just it, a... Uh, these people are a part of the land every day. Their livelihood revolves around the land. Their dad grew, uh, raised them on that land. All they know is the land that they're around in their and if, country. And if we screw it up, then, then we're not, you know, why would we want to do that when we, we expect our children and our children's children to, literally, to do this? Literally down to the square foot. Uh, I'm not kidding. That's the way I look at pastures. If you've got any noxious weed problem, any woody plant problem, down to the square foot, that's affecting your dollar. You don't want it. You're wanting to improve land all the time. Uh, that's how my family looks at it anyway. There is a lot of people out there that... Um, anyway, that's... I hate to get off on a negative point. But uh, we're always trying to improve the land and do something better every year. And uh, I guess that ties back around to 2020. And I think that 2020 is going to be the best year yet. Another year that we can learn and try and fail and try and fail and try again and fail and try again until we succeed. Because you'd never know true success without failure. And uh, I really hope and believe that uh, Trump's going to win in 2020 and will be even a little bit easier for us to... You know, I, I'd kind of like to get off on that tangent for a little bit. Let's uh, let's go into this. Uh, you know, how great is this, uh, this stage one of the trade deal with China? Uh, the fact that we finally, finally have gotten the, uh, the USMCA passed. Um, you know, and even, you know, most people referring it to as an after 2.0, but, uh, but all these things that the buy upcoming biofuel industries in Mexico, China, Japan, you know, how, how great is the optimism going in? You know, we've been battling China for years and to, you know, for people that are not in agriculture, they don't understand. They think that it's just been hard the last couple of years, but what they don't realize we've been getting our kick, our teeth kicked in Since- for Fifteen the twenty years. Early two thousands when uh, Bill Clinton and NAFTA. Yeah, we've well, been getting our teeth kicked in them, and we're finally standing up against these people, and we're finally starting to see. You know, it's it's been a hard, hard road to hoe, and uh, and we're finally seeing the fruits of of the negotiations coming out with you know stage one and the and the USMCA, and the countries that are signing on to this besides us are willingly doing this. So they, they knew the gig's up, the gig's up. They can't screw us anymore or they, they're, they can't, you know, they're, they're probably going to keep trying, but we're, we're starting to be more aware and starting to try to push. And, we, and it's finally, you know, I, I'm just finally glad that we've got somebody that's willing to fight for our interests. He ain't perfect. He doesn't suit every need that I have or need that I want, or, you know, he might say stuff that I don't like or do things that I don't like, but but just to go back, just I'm I'm an uh, objective person, and I look at it on a case by case basis. But I'm very very thankful for what he's done in the agriculture realm, and in the tax realm, uh, and regulation realm for us. And uh, you know he, he ain't perfect, but uh, but President Trump has just really been kicking it for us. I feel, and and you know I'm just hoping that we can continue on to to working towards a full trade deal with China. The way the left is moving so far to the left that they're just completely insane. I mean, people, you can't run a country when all you do is just give your money away. 
you try and live your life that way, where you just give your money away to these... Everybody's got them, friends that don't do that much with their life. They don't have no inhibition. They just kind of mooch off of their parents. Those people don't go anywhere. That's basically the U.S. giving money to all these little podunk countries that have no inhibition, no no economy. You got to vote right and stay to the right of things because the left has just gone completely insane. Now, there is reason to all this stuff, and you can't be so right that you don't want any regulations. This country is special because we do a lot to protect our natural resources. We do protect our clean air and clean water. That's great. That's huge things. And that's the deal what us farmers are trying to do with the no-till. It's so much better for the environment to be protecting your erosion and your evaporation. A lot of great things are coming with this. Everybody gets behind it. But, uh, I just I want to I want to jump in here on on the on the debate. I, I agree with you, but uh, but let's also think that we we can't just follow blindly because the letters after somebody's name. Uh, you know, we we as a country we got to start looking to is uh, you know physically or not physically but fiscally uh, how how we're looking towards the future with the the amount of money that we're giving away, the amount of money that we're spending. And the amount of money we're taking in. We're taking in so much money, but yet we are living way, way beyond our means that if any of us, me, you, anybody listening tried to live like that, you would be bankrupt and on the street. Uh, you know, so we, we got we to gotta hold accountable both sides. You know, our, the, the Republicans have been just as bad in the last 20 years about spending our money as the Democrats. And it's just all been on vote buying for both sides. Vote buying. (coughs) Vote buying is the main one. And all these little pork bills going to people, you know, just to enrich people's pockets. What we really need is, is, is farmers and, and ranchers and then other people alike. We need to stand up together and force our government to live the same way that we have to, you know, on a budget. And if, if you spend more than what you make, you're going under. And I think it's time as our country that we start holding our leaders accountable, no matter what side they are on, uh, on stuff that we truly believe in, such as trade and, and spending. There's uh, going to come a time when America really isn't number one in the world. I mean, look at how Britain was a couple 150 years ago. They were the number one. The sun never set on the British Empire. The reason China and uh, Europe keeps loaning us all this money is because we're number one and they know we're good for it. Our economy makes so much money every year. China's going to surpass us one of these years, and we're not going to be number one, and they're going to start calling in our loans. We're not always going to be living high on the hog. You have to start running this country more like a business. You can't just give people free stuff all their life when they're not contributing anything back to the economy, it, a fifth, a five-year-old can understand and tell you this that it's not going to work. And I just don't understand how you have so many millions of people in this country that are just demanding free stuff from their government that don't, that don't think to pass the end of their nose. It just, I can't believe it. Yep, and uh, you know that's just uh, that's the nature of the world, and hopefully we can help uh, along with a lot of other people educate the today's up and coming youth on on you know understanding that that government is the most important. You know, everybody talks they don't want oh I don't pay attention to government, I don't pay attention to government, and what they don't realize is it's in every part of your life. 
from farming to agriculture to buying groceries to uh, buying diapers for your kids, buying anything, selling anything. They have their hand in everything. So, folks, just in 2020, encourage you to please start stepping up and, and looking at what your government's doing to you and I and every one of us. And let's uh, let's stop this madness while we still can. Well, uh, El Matador, I think uh, I think this is a great stopping point as there could be. And uh, I guess we'll see you next week, compadre. Yeah, thanks for coming over. It was uh, it was very uh, a very pleasant evening and a very good discussion. We. We went all over the board there, but we hit some pretty good topics, I feel, and uh, you know, it's uh, I'm looking forward to what next week brings us. Yeah, I can't wait to get back into a weekly swing of things and uh, really get back into the podcasting groove. Groove, I'm uh, very excited about it. Well, once again, folks, coming from rainy southern panhandle of Texas, I'm El Matador. And I'm Tex in the bullpen. And we are signing off. Have a good one, America. Good night, America.